0: Hi, I'm Eric Chaffin, senior pastor of Beach Street First Baptist Church in Texarkana. Welcome to The Upward Call, our weekly Beach Street message cast. If this is your first time to connect with us, we invite you to discover more at www.beachstreetfbc.org. Beachstreetfbc.org. Thanks so much for joining us. We pray that today's message will inspire and challenge you as God speaks to you through his word. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're finishing up this six-part series called That's Just Great, this week's message, Our Great Task, 2 Timothy chapter 2, let me ask you while you're turning there, when have you been entrusted with an important task? You know, maybe to cook for the family when mom was gone, or you went on a trip and you were the one responsible for bringing the passports, Uh, maybe to teach a Sunday school class, or uh, you've been put in charge of a very important meeting at work, or a, a sales pitch to make to a very lucrative prospective client, or maybe to have the talk with your children. Yeah, that's a big one. President Dwight D. Eisenhower once said, I have two kinds of problems, the urgent and the important. The urgent are not important, and the important are never urgent. Now, it's interesting that he spoke those words in 1954 to a gathering of church leaders. And it's even more interesting to hear those words coming from a man who had to make major decisions every day. Now, when you think about it, few things really fall into both of those categories. Exercise is important, but it's not really urgent. Sometimes you get email that's tagged as urgent, but it's really not necessarily important. Of course, there are some things in life that are both really urgent and really important. One example, uh, medical emergency. But another example is the task that is given to every disciple of Jesus Christ to share the good news of Christ with others. Now, as we saw in last week's study, people have no more important decision to make than to choose Christ. And church, now is the time for us to point them to Jesus and help them understand everything that's at stake, which really brings us to the big idea behind this week's message, that each of us must share the gospel. So, we're in 2 Timothy this uh, week. It's uh, one of Paul's pastoral letters in which this veteran minister helped younger colleagues work through some ministry issues. Now, you could also classify it as one of Paul's prison letters. Paul wrote four prison letters uh, during his imprisonment that's mentioned in the book of Acts. Uh, That's Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. But many scholars think that 2 Timothy was written during his second imprisonment in Rome after Acts had ended. Paul's last letter before execution by Emperor Nero. And here in 2 Timothy 2, Paul gives us three points of vital instruction. Now, obviously, vital instruction to his pastoral protege, Timothy, but vital instruction to us as well. And the first one is this. Number one, pledge to share Christ. Look at verse one. You, therefore, my son, be strong, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, what Paul was describing in these verses was really the process of discipleship which involves knowing and, and walking in the truths of Jesus and, and leading others to do the same. And, and in verse two, Paul tells Timothy to take what he's learned and commit that to faithful men. Now that Greek word for commit, it means to entrust for safekeeping. Uh, think of it this way, uh, in anticipation of her daughter's wedding, a mother entrust uh, to that daughter, uh, maybe a family heirloom, yeah, maybe her grandmother's ring or a cameo or a brooch or even a, a wedding gown to safeguard until the time has come for her to entrust it to her own daughter someday only in this case the mother isn't suggesting that she hand it down she's actually instructing her to do it you see that that, that word for commit uh, it's actually in the imper- imperative mood in the greek and i and I know Just like last week, some of your your eyeballs are probably rolling in the back of your head, why? Why with the Greek again? Why the grammatical stuff? Well, it's very simple, the imperative mood, it just means that it's a command, okay? Uh, You know, Paul's not saying, Timothy, I I think it'd be a good idea if, or uh, Timothy, could I make a suggestion? No, Paul is saying, Timothy, get her done. That's what he's saying. Take those truths of the good news of Jesus Christ that you've learned from me and then entrust those gospel truths to faithful disciples who will in turn pass it on to others. Paul, you see, had invested a lot of time and effort into teaching and discipling Timothy. So now he's encouraging Timothy to pay it forward and teach others who will teach others. But let me ask you this, whose instruction does Paul remind us of here? Hmm, could it be Jesus? You see, Paul's challenge to Timothy echoes the great commission. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave his own disciples this instruction, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Well, guess what? That, uh, that Greek verb for make disciples, yeah, it's also in the imperative mood. So Jesus didn't say, hey, guys, I, I, I'm leaving you to go be with the Father, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Now, he might suggest you tell somebody about me. Nope, not what he's saying. Or, hey, this, uh, this evangelism thing, you know, it seems like a pretty good deal, but it's optional. Nope. You see, long before there was ever a Nike slogan, Jesus was telling his disciples, just do it. Now, remember this. Jesus had appeared to Paul on that road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, and Paul was being commissioned to be the chosen instrument to take Christ's name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. That's in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Other Christians would help Paul to begin his journey of faith. Later, Paul would train and teach Timothy, commission Timothy. And now, in the same way that Paul has shared Christ with Timothy and discipled him, Timothy will now share Christ and disciple others who would disciple others. You see, church, the good news of salvation in Jesus, man, that's way too important for us to keep to ourselves. I mean, if you had the cure for cancer, would you keep it to yourself? Of course not. You're gonna share it with the rest of the world, right? well, here's the thing, church. We have the cure for spiritual cancer. It's Jesus. And his love is not to be hidden. His truth should not be hoarded. There's a guy named Joseph Bricado, Great example of what goes wrong when we don't take discipleship seriously. Bricado was a mailman in Brooklyn, New York. One day, his supervisor happened to walk by Bricado's personal car and saw that it was full of mail. So the supervisor confronted him, and Brucato admitted that uh, sometimes he didn't deliver all of the mail. And he he blamed alcohol. He blamed depression. But when the postal inspectors went to his apartment, they found 40,000 pieces of mail, undelivered mail, 2,500 tons worth or pounds worth. That's well over a ton. That's a lot of mail. And the missing mail included several personal messages, many of which were both important and urgent. BUT BECAUSE THE MAIL WAS NEVER DELIVERED, PEOPLE WERE ROBBED OF WHAT THEY NEEDED TO HEAR. FOLKS, JESUS HAS WRITTEN THE WORLD A LOVE LETTER, AND WE HAVE GOT TO DELIVER THE MAIL. BUT SADLY, THERE'S A LOT OF CHRISTIANS, YOU KNOW, WHO DO SOMETHING FAR MORE OUTRAGEOUS THAN JUST HOARDING MAIL. THEY HOARD THE GOOD NEWS OF JESUS CHRIST. CHURCH, IT'S TIME for us to stop sitting on our blessed assurance and to start being the light of the world and to transform this church from a museum for saints to a hospital for sinners. So in verses 1 and 2, we find Paul calling Timothy and us to pledge ourselves to share in Christ. Pass on the good news to those who will pass on the good news. Now, as we move to verses 3 through 7, we find a character trait that's really necessary for sharing Christ with any kind of sustained success, and that's perseverance, that we should, number two, persevere to share Christ. Look at verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. All right, so speaking of understanding, then what is it that Paul's really trying to, to teach us with these word pictures in verses 3 through 6? Well, you know what? Let's just take them one at a time, shall we? First of all, in verse 4, we see the dutiful soldier. See, soldiers should not get entangled in the concerns of civilian life, Paul says. Soldier on duty keeps himself in a constant state of readiness for orders from headquarters. Now, in the first century culture, soldiers typically served for 20 years. In fact, they weren't even supposed to marry during that period. So the dutiful soldier learned to prioritize obligations. His highest obligation was to please the commanding officer. Of course, our lives carry lots of different obligations family, church, career, friendships, and all of those are very important things. But the point that Paul is really emphasizing is this that as soldiers of Jesus Christ, we need to always place our loyalty and our commitment to Christ above other obligations because He is our greatest priority. Period. I mean, Christians, the employer that you want to work for is the one who puts Christ above the almighty dollar. The parent who most inspires loving obedience from his children is the one who puts God above even family. Single ladies, the only kind of husband you should ever desire is the one who loves Jesus more than he loves you. Well, the soldier's desire is to please the one who enlisted him. Well, guess what? We believers, we've been enlisted by the Lord, and our love for him should cause cause us to kind of hold on loosely to the things of this world. So the dutiful soldier keeps the main thing the main thing. But next Paul shows us in verse 5, the disciplined athlete. Now, many of Paul's readers were familiar with first century sports, and so he often used sports analogies in his writing. He knew that a successful athlete prepared and trained over a long period of time in order to compete successfully. In that day, athletes actually pledged an oath to 10 months of intense training and discipline before their participation in the Olympic Games. Now, the winner's prize was a garland, a, a crown of laurels, which is really a far cry from the gold medal that winners receive in the games today, yet one that athletes worked very, very hard for. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul compared our gospel mission to the games. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27, he writes, Don't you know that the runners in the stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified." So here in 2 Timothy 2, Paul emphasized that an athlete must compete according to the rules. Now, if you're a die-hard sports fan, you might recall at the end of the 2018 NFL season, in the AFC Championship game, on a late fourth-quarter play, the Kansas City Chiefs intercepted Patriots quarterback Tom Brady. Apparently, securing their first trip to the super bowl for the patrick mahomes led chiefs yes oh but wait a minute there was a yellow hanky on the field chiefs defensive end d ford lined up offside negating The game-winning play, a costly blunder, because after that, you know, Tom Brady just did what Tom Brady does. He brought the Patriots to a come-from-behind victory later in the game. So, such such a bonehead mistake actually cost the Chiefs a trip to the Super Bowl, and you know what? It also cost Ford, because he found himself playing for the 49ers the next season. Athletes have to play by the rules. Well, so it is in Christian service. How many of us drop out before we reach the finish line, disqualified because we did not maintain an unquestioning obedience to the Word of God? You know, for us, like a disciplined athlete, we've got to focus on core spiritual disciplines. Things like personal prayer time, our, our Bible study, our giving, uh, gathering together for, for corporate worship, all those things in order to be able to better share the good news. And like that disciplined athlete, we give it our all. I think it was William Barclay who once said that a spare time Christian is a contradiction in terms. A man's whole life should be one strenuous endeavor to live out his Christianity in every moment and in every sphere of his life. So, here Paul compares our role as gospel bearers to that of the dutiful soldier, also the disciplined athlete. But then there's a third comparison. We see it in verse 6, the dedicated farmer. Now, farming methods have changed a whole lot since Paul's day, but successful farmers still have to be very hardworking. Farmer's got to be dedicated. His line of work is not for the easily discouraged. And if a farmer isn't willing to really play the long game, yeah, he might as well get out now. But Paul's main emphasis, really, with this particular word picture is that the farmer ought to be the first one to get a share of the crops. Now, those words would have really served as an encouragement to Timothy if he ever got discouraged in his labor for the Lord. His toil would not go unrewarded. His labor of love would not go unnoticed. So, when Paul said in verse 6 that the farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops, he was talking about the spiritual rewards, the, the blessings that come to those who serve Christ faithfully, consistently, patiently, just like farmers. There's a guy named Azam. He's a Christian in Somalia who smuggled Bibles into his country. The uh, only way he was able to do that, though, was in a coffin. You see, Azam would climb into a coffin and lie underneath a deceased body. And he would travel that way to Kenya, where he would get the Bibles. And then he'd travel in another coffin, headed back to Somalia to take the Bibles back. <laughs> and Azam said, I love the irony that caskets for dead people are used to bring new life in Somalia. Well, you see, Azam is an example of what Paul was teaching that we are to be dutiful disciplined, dedicated to whatever it takes and to endure suffering when necessary in order to advance the cause of Christ. Wait, Eric, did you just say suffering? No way. Suffering? Did I hear you correctly? Yeah. Suffering. That's why Paul said share in suffering in verse 3. Oh, you you thought the Christian life was going to be easy? Let's get real, Christians. Perseverance in the Christian life is no easy feat. So, I think that's why in verse 1 Paul told Timothy to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because, you know, left to our own strength, man, ultimately we're going to burn out, we're going to fade away. Now, Paul, he knew hardship, he knew about weakness, and when he brought his concerns to God, you remember what the Lord t- told him? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. The Lord told him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You remember what Paul said in response to that? He said, therefore, I will gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. All right, so in verses 1 and 2, we found Paul calling Timothy and us to pledge ourselves to sharing Christ. Verses 3 through 7, Paul used three word pictures to describe how we should persevere in sharing Christ. And now in verses 8 through 10, we see how Paul perseveres as we are called to, number three, prioritize to spotlight Christ. We prioritize in order to spotlight Christ. Look at verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. Remember Christ Jesus, Paul says in verse 8. Remember. Remember, it's a present active imperative. Present tense active voice means it's an ongoing action, not just a one-time thing. And, well, you already know what the imperative mood means, right? Yeah, I've kind of kicked that dead horse one time too many. The more you kick a dead horse, the more it stinks, right? No, imperative mood, it's a command. Paul is commanding Timothy and us, remember. Jesus Christ. Now, what specifically should we remember about him? What aspects of Christ's person and work are we being told to spotlight? A couple things you see in verse 8. First, that Jesus is risen from the dead. Now, we talked a lot about this last week. The resurrection of Christ is really the linchpin of Christianity. Without a living Savior, our faith is in vain. So the resurrection of Jesus was central to Paul's preaching and teaching. In fact, that that God raised Jesus, that was the basic evidence for Jesus' deity, the fact that Jesus was God. So we're told to remember this. We're also told to remember that Jesus is descended from David. Okay, so if risen from the dead emphasized Jesus' deity, Well, then this is an indicator of Jesus' humanity. It's a simple statement that Jesus is the Christ, the descendant of David, in whom all of the messianic promises of God are fulfilled. That's a major issue for the Jews who are expecting the Messiah to be a descendant of David. So it's not the dead Christ that Timothy is told to to spotlight. It's the risen, living Lord. And this is Paul's gospel, and these are the reasons why Paul perseveres. Uh, He endures all the suffering and hardship, including all those those imprisonments that he endured. It's for the good news. It's because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Here's something else about Jesus, though. Those three illustrations of perseverance Paul gave in verses 3 through 6 there's a greater example of these. In fact, Jesus is the greatest example of these. He's the greatest example of a dutiful soldier. Think about it. He was obedient even unto death for us. He fought the ultimate battle for us and won. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verses eight and nine that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name. Now, Jesus is also the greatest example of a disciplined athlete because he endured until he was victorious over sin and death and gained, gained the, the prize, which was our salvation. And I think that's why the writer of Hebrews wrote that we should keep our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's Hebrews 12, 2. I think Jesus is also the greatest example of that dedicated farmer, because he alone has the power to break apart the, the hardened soil in a person's heart and bring that life to bear spiritual fruit. All right, so when I say that we should prioritize in order to spotlight Christ, I mean that we are to be deliberate, intentional about calling attention to Jesus, uh, making a big deal of him. Making much of Jesus becomes our top priority. Now, I want you to look at verses nine and 10. Of course, Paul knew all about persevering for the sake of sharing Christ. And while he was writing this letter to Timothy, he was in chains in a Roman prison. And even worse, he knew that he would soon be put to death by his captors. We read about that in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And yet, even in chains, here in verse 9, Paul declared that while he might be bound, God's message isn't bound. Yes, Paul would die, but the gospel never would. In fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ had become Paul's very life. That's why he referred to it as my gospel. Now, I want you to notice two words at the end of verse 10, eternal glory. As a lot of Bible scholars have noted, our salvation has a beginning, okay? In theological terms, we call that justification. It's being made right with God. And as a result, we are being saved from the penalty of sin. Our salvation also has a middle. We call it sanctification. It's us being made more like Jesus every day as the Holy Spirit works within us. And at the same time, really saves us from the power of sin in our daily lives. Our salvation also has an end. And Paul sometimes identified this final stage of our salvation as glorification which is really us being saved from the very presence of sin, but also being ushered into the presence of Almighty God. And this is the eternal glory that Paul's talking about in verse 10. Not just his own, but for all believers. He realized that through his suffering for the sake of the gospel, souls were being saved. And that vision of guilty sinners now made clean and saved by the grace of God, that was sufficient to inspire Paul to endure great trial and tremendous suffering because these very souls would one day participate in the same eternal glory with Christ Jesus. So in these verses, Paul's teaching us that constant reminders of the Savior's person and work are essential for those of us who serve him. And there's great encouragement in remembering that, hey, even the Lord Jesus himself reached the glory of heaven by way of the cross and the grave. That had to be especially encouraging for believers in Paul's day who were facing suffering and possible death because of their faith. So let's take what Paul is teaching us here and let's turn it inward. IN LIGHT OF PAUL'S CHALLENGE TO US, ASK YOURSELF, HOW DO YOU WANT TO SPEND YOUR LIFE? WILL YOU PERSEVERE FOR THE GOSPEL? OR WILL YOU JUST WANDER AWAY FROM THE TASK WHEN THE GOING GETS TOUGH? OBVIOUSLY THE CHOICE IS YOURS, BUT THERE ARE SOULS THAT HANG IN THE BALANCE, PEOPLE JUST WAITING FOR US TO TELL THEM ABOUT THE LOVE OF JESUS CHRIST. SIMPLY PUT, THIS IS OUR GREAT TASK. IT IS OUR GREATEST TASK. WHICH BRINGS US FULL CIRCLE TO THE BIG IDEA THAT EACH OF US MUST SHARE THE GOSPEL. SO ASK YOURSELF, WHAT ARE MY HOPES AND DREAMS FOR SHARING THE GOSPEL? What plans can I make this month to share the gospel? And what action steps do I need to take in order to bring those plans to fulfillment? Or more simply than that, you just ask yourself what are some practical ways that I can respond to Paul's challenge that we've explored here in this particular passage? Well, I'll give you some starters. Three action steps you can take. Number one is to pray, pray for the lost. I mean, if you've never told anybody about Christ, begin with prayer. Pray that God will bless you with boldness and wisdom. Pray for an opportunity to share Jesus with someone that God has prepared to hear the good news. So pray for the lost. Here's a second one. Prepare. Prepare to share. Seek out some new information. Learn some new strategies for sharing the truth of Christ with others. And if you need help, In learning to better share Jesus, connect with somebody in the church here that can mentor you with regard to that. Or ask me, and I'll provide you with some training materials. Or we'll start an evangelism class here at the church. So prepare to share. And then the third one, participate. Participate in evangelism. You know, maybe that means joining a group in the church that regularly engages in outreach, or maybe that means making plans to go on a short-term missions trip for the purpose of sharing the gospel. I would encourage you to try out the 3151 strategy. 3151. List three people that you're praying will accept the gift of salvation. Write out one sentence, that summarizes the gospel, and then challenge five other Christians to join you in this strategy, and then commit to sharing the gospel with one person this week, 3151. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like to have a personal relationship with God, it's pretty simple. It's repent, believe, and receive. We acknowledge that we're all sinners who fall short, and we repent. That word means to change your mind about the way you've been living. Then you choose to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you. And you receive, by faith, God's gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Beach Street. Small group Bible study begins at 9.30 on Sundays, followed by worship at 10.45. There's a midweek Bible study on Wednesdays at 6. You'll find us at the corner of 6th and Beach Street in downtown Texarkana. And for more info, visit our website at beachstreetfbc.org.